2: or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
4: Coming up next
5: on Huddle & Flow. I was just getting comfortable around uh, President Obama, and I think he he wanted to kind of break the ice a little bit because I was in, I was riding in, uh, in his car with him. and um, I talked to... Uh, or I guess M- Michelle had uh, had reached out to him before the round and uh, told him to give me a message that if I wanted to talk trash about President Obama, that I should go straight for the ears. <laughs> 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 I should go straight for the ears, just trash the big ears nonstop. And that's the one that could get under his skin a little bit. And so he was humble enough to pass that on to me, knowing that it was gonna press the button and she was giving me some ammo. So. That might speak to his confidence as a trash talker. So he didn't give me material knowing that he had some other stuff in the bag. That's
4: next on Huddle & Flow.
2: All right, all right. Well, the NFL season may be over, but the Huddle & Flow podcast, it definitely isn't. We're still clearing our throats right here. Remember, the Huddle & Flow podcast brought to you by Intuit, proud makers of TurboTax, Mint, and QuickBooks. And I'm Steve White. here with my guy, Jim Trotter, two-thirds of the Howard Mob. Of course, you're the other third is Thomas Warren, our producer on the ones and twos. JT, we just witnessed a beatdown in Tampa. It was not it was not the competitive Super Bowl that we all thought. <laughs> no,
4: not at all. I, you know, I, look, I always thought Tampa had a chance, but I never thought, or what I had said going in is, whoever wins, it would be a close game. But um, you know, it, it, it just shows any Sunday, anything can happen. And and it's what's funny is when we had Todd Bowles on last week, we asked him about Kansas City's offensive line, and what did he say? He said, "I'm not biting I'm, the cheese. I'm
2: not biting the cheese. They're fine."
4: Exactly. They
2: I'll tell, weren't I'll tell you what, Jim, the, the, what they were doing to the offensive line was so similar to what the Patriots did to the Rams offensive line in the Super Bowl. Like, we saw the production of the rush off the edge. But preceding that, they were beating the hell out of those tackles. There were times when when Bowles would line up Vita Vea at, at a wide defensive end. It was a seven technique, right? The outside shoulder, the offensive tackle. And he was hammering him, just crushing him, and so you knew that that was just kind of seasoning the meat. And then when it came time for the Chiefs to have to be a throw, throw, throw team, that's when Shaq Barrett and JPP and Andomak and Sue just absolutely ate them up.
4: Oh, it was it was impressive, you know. And I, um, I was happy for Coach Bowles, you know. Um, people focus so much on on the offenses in this game. And even in Tampa, people wanted to focus on the Tom Brady story, which was a fairy tale ending for him, leaving New England after 20 seasons, getting this championship in his first year in Tampa. But for me, for Todd Bowles to do what he did, to, to, to put together a game plan that held Patrick Mahomes to his worst game as a pro. I mean, never in Patrick's three years as a starter had he ever gone without a touchdown, leading the offense to a touchdown. Never before had they lost a the game um, by double digits it was just an impressive performance game plan by Todd Bowles and execution by the players
2: it was crazy so I had, I had a couple of coaches texting me during the game they're like Tampa's playing a too high shell when they're doubling up Tyreek wherever he goes quick game underneath quick game underneath they get, they can move the ball up and down the field all day quick game underneath and Mahomes didn't have time to do it and the Chiefs abandoned it And people were stunned that they weren't keeping in uh, bringing an extra tight end to maybe help out those offensive tackles. So this was a case really where, again, in some ways it was like that Patriots-Rams game, and in some ways it was like the Seattle Broncos wipeout Super Bowl. Because Kansas City, I mean, some of the penalties, some of just the absolute dumb plays, and the fact that those receivers did not help out Patrick Mahomes one bit. I mean, the drops that they had it was like they picked the wrong time of the season to play their worst game because it was they they were bamboozled but Jim let's also flip it Byron left which was in his bag that first touchdown to Gronk where they sent all the motion right and they flipped Gronk back underneath to the left that looked like a page out of Kansas City's playbook and they just absolutely manipulated the hell out of the Chiefs defensive tendencies
4: yeah, and as Gronk said afterwards, it's something that they had been setting up because they had not had him do that before. They had simply had him blocked down. He would stay there. So, no, Byron did a, a tremendous job. And, yes, it was Byron and not Todd Bowles as, as one reporter. <laughs> After the game oh. asked Byron, hey, how did you shut down Patrick Mahomes? And I just wanted to say, really? Really? Come on now. You know, on, I know man. we all look alike, but come on.
2: You know? Like, come on, man. I mean that that was yeah. Let's you know let let's go there. You know, but, but let's typical of
4: Byron, he handled it with poison class. You know, he didn't put so personal blast.
2: He, he, he was so funny. He was like, "Oh, you're thinking of Todd? That's all good." <laughs> <laughs> you know, some other people would have been like, mm, "Nope." I, we we both probably would have been like, "Next, next, next question." So, exactly. so, Jim, um, you know, I know we're talking about the Super Bowl, but a little bit later on in the podcast, we're bringing on. NBA great, Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors. And you and our producer, Thomas Warren, actually had a great conversation with him about a lot of the things he's doing on the court, uh, what he's doing at the golf game, how he sponsored Howard University's golf program. So I just want to alert that Steph Curry's getting ready to come on this podcast. It was fantastic, and I'm glad my guy, Thomas Warren, came on and, and absolutely killed it because you know he's got that radio background. He's more than just a guy mixing things on the wheels of steel. But real quick, let, let's get back to this before we get to Steph. Um, it's a conversation that's been had about the coach hiring thing. And we're not going to go into the obvious things about we had all the black coordinators there. But Sean Payton, you know, really talked about it when we had him on the huddle and flow. And that is delaying the coach hiring process until after the Super Bowl. And to me, this is the greatest example of how you could do that. Because then, you know, all these teams that have all this lead time to do any type of homework, research, whatever they needed to do on the coaches coaching in the Super Bowl. But I think Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles and, yes, Eric Biennemi would have a better opportunity to get jobs if this process was slow played. You know,
4: Steve, I'd like to think you were right, but I tend to believe, based on the history and what we've seen, that many of these clubs have their mind made up before the process ever even starts. And that's why I, I do agree with you. I think the process should be pushed back and interviews shouldn't start until after the Super Bowl. But the reality is, in my mind at least, is that it's not going to make a difference. Um, What's funny to me is many of the coaches prior to the process beginning that we had identified with certain teams were the coaches who got hired. So as much as owners come back and say, so-and-so was great in this interview or this, that, and the other, at the end of the day, those teams still went with the people that we had identified right up front. So... That's why I say I don't know how you correct the process other than, as some are speculating, um, there may have to be legal action. And that's really what the impetus was back at the turn of the century in 2000, 2001, when Cyrus Marion, Johnny Cochran, threatened legal action against the NFL, which helped contribute to the adoption of the Rooney Rule. And over the next decade, we saw incremental improvement and then we slipped backwards And I hope that's not the case, but um, who knows? And the other thing that we're hearing now is more talk about um, these groups, whether it's the Fritz Pollard Alliance or others addressing league sponsors and asking the question of during this time where supposedly we have this enlightenment, do you really wanna deal with an organization that clearly has some discriminatory practices in terms of its hiring? Because objectively you can put up blind resumes And it will show that some of these black candidates clearly are more qualified than their white counterparts who are getting jobs.
2: Well, 100 percent, Jim. It's not about changing the process. It's about changing the mentality. And we know how hard that is in society. All right. Well, enough of this. Let's get to the good stuff here, Jim. Let's go ahead and bring in Steph Curry and just kind of a, a little caveat here. Um, I was not here. I was down. I was actually up in the sky in a a fueling plane over the Gulf of Mexico, a KC-135 fueling plane, which was like an incredibly cool experience fueling a B-1 bomber uh, that was going to partake in the flyover when this is recorded. And, um, you know, as excited as I was to do that, hearing Jim and Thomas do this interview with Steph Curry is just a bomb. So let's go ahead and bring in Steph Curry.
4: we have another member of the Howard mob who's gonna be on the show today, Mr. Stephen Curry. Uh, we are excited to have him in. Uh, I gotta tell the backstory. You know, Steph pledged to relaunch the Howard golf program, which has been, which had been dormant for a couple of decades or more. And the minute he did that, Steve and I both said, we gotta get Steph on the show. We gotta talk about it. Cause everyone knows we are all about Howard. So Steph, first we wanna say welcome to the show. Thank you for all you do. And I've read different stories about how it all came together that you helped relaunch Howard's golf program. So let's hear from you. Tell us how it came about.
5: Um, It was kind of a, you know, just a a genuine introduction uh, to some uh, current students at the time at, at Howard. I was producing a documentary with my production company, my media company, Unanimous um and we were uh we were kind of on the road a lot of different places um sh- uh, doing screenings for the documentary um and we wanted to kind of bring it to a crescendo at uh at a place that meant a lot to some of the people on my team and and howard was was the pick and so we went uh and did a screening there and had a, a panel q a discussion uh the, the documentary was called a manual um and we, we we went into campus. Um, and I did the screening, invited a bunch of students, uh, faculty, staff. Um, and I actually got to be there when we were playing the Wizards, um, I think the day after. And so uh, right after the screening and the Q&A, uh, some students came down to the front and they were really excited about kind of talking about some ideas that they had, what they were interested in, if there was ways to, you know, create some business opportunities or some in- internships or things like that. So I kind of went down the road talking to each student Um, We had shoe designers. We had tech guys and girls. We had, uh, you know, athletes. Um, And then I got to Otis Ferguson, the fourth, who was talking about, uh, you know, he was a golfer. He loved to play. He's on the the club team at Howard. And he was trying to figure out a way to bring uh, the the Division one program back uh i can't remember exactly how many years it, it was since it, it was gone but uh that was his mission and obviously was, he's was talking golf and he's talking how and i it kind of sparked my interest so i took that nugget took his number and email down and uh about a month or two later i said hey i got a, a, a idea and some energy around we actually making this a reality and the you know, next thing you know um we got uh, uh, put you know uh, some resources in investment down. We're working towards an endowment now so that we can create scholarships in perpetuity for for these uh, student athletes on the men's and women's side, and um, you know introducing golf to uh, uh you know to, to new people in terms of you know opportunity. That one creates you know scholarships like you said, but we're, you know the, the goal is to get somebody on the PGA or the LPGA tour eventually and get some more representation out there. So that's the that's the goal. For you, Steph, I just wonder
4: when you look at what this means to the university, what this means to the to the students who are going to have an opportunity now to participate on this team. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? To see how important that is to them and how big that is to them.
5: I mean, it's huge. Uh, I grew up playing playing the game. My dad introduced it to me, um, and obviously, everybody knows this was a basketball player. And, and I know how much sports teaches you about. Uh, you know, character and work ethic and discipline and uh, working in, in, you know, in team environments. Golf has taught me so much about myself as well. And uh, it's been a huge part of, um, you know, introducing me to different people, different people who walk, different walks of life. And my whole goal, you know, when I came in, into to this level was to find a way to grow not only the game of basketball, but the game of golf in a very authentic way that I feel like I could lend a voice to, um, and to kind of reach back into the uh, to the grassroots level to introduce the game, um, you know, the people that that might not really know anything about it, um, but have the talent, the, you know, the interest, and can develop the passion, the skill set to to do it at, at the at the you know elementary high school level, and potentially at the, at the college and professional level. And so for for me, one, it's a conduit to, to education. It's a huge opportunity to have like a north star of you know, golf can open up so many doors. Um, we just need access. We just need, um, you know, that support and, and like a uh, a sense of, of you know resources that can kind of you know build in the gap for for where a lot of kids get left. And uh, for me, that means that means so much to to have you know Howard and are decked out in in the gear. They're super talented. We have an amazing coach Sam Perrier who's doing uh, leading you know leading the charge and and that's the vision and then we can work our way back to say how can we get more
4: kids into the uh into these type of uh opportunities steph thomas going to talk to you about coaching a sec but i wanted to ask you said something you said golf taught you so much about yourself what did it teach you
5: uh patience discipline um perseverance I think it's one of those games that you, you can never master uh, as much as I have time as I put into the game of basketball and, and perfecting my craft. Um, you know, there is certain things that you can't control. And when you get out on the golf course, it's just you and what's going on between the ears. I mean, there's that competitive environment as well when you play with other people, but it's still just you and your own thoughts and your own mentality that you have to master. Um, and for me, that's a, that's a never ending journey. And so, you know, i uh, I felt like it's, uh, it gave me, you know, one, something to look forward to and, uh, I could get my competitive juices flowing in a different type of atmosphere that, uh, that's helped me in a lot of different areas, not just on the basketball court, but, um, just being able to, you know, meet different people and be able to talk to them and level to them because golf is kind of like that, that, that unifier, Um, you know, people from all walks of life love to play and uh, it's kind of gone from there.
3: You mentioned Steph Kirch per year earlier. I talked to him earlier and he couldn't sing your praises enough. He said, not only it's not one of those partnerships where it's just, you write a check and that's it. He said, you've been very hands-on. You've been in communication, uh, if you go to the website, you see the team, they're decked out in all the, the SC30 gear. So he said, that's, that's part of it. It's looking professional. So he, he was thankful that the team have outfits to look that way. Cause that's part of it. Uh, right. He also said that uh, the relationship has been good, that it's been something that's been continuous and ongoing. So I wonder from your side, how has the relationship been and how do you see it progressing from here?
5: Uh, it's been great so far. It's everything you just said. And um you know, just the excitement and the awareness of how this golf program can hopefully create, uh, again, it's, this the scholarship aspect of it and great education, but at the HBCU level, obviously Howard, um, you know, first and foremost in this respect, but across the HBCU kind of pipeline that this can be a template for, um, other, you know, universities stepping up, um, in this respect and, and kind of. Uh, pouring into to their golf programs, which uh, might be kind of on the back burner in a lot of people's you know priority lists, and so you know Sam's done an unbelievable job with his unbelief his his track record, and his experience at a lot of different colleges, bringing it to Howard, trying to create a first class program that um, you know takes the service of what you know a, a student athlete and a golfer can can expect at this level, um, and, and not missing any detail in there, and so. We kind of started with uh like you said the gear the curry brand gear um uh, you know deck them out in that and you make them feel special like they should uh from Callaway's perspective we uh were able to have a, a a custom fitting session which you know most of those uh student athletes hadn't had that experience and so uh you think about the difference in terms of opportunity you know from from, you know, kids at four or five, six years old to, to 18, 19 going into their freshman year of college, they had never experienced that. And it's a, a huge difference maker um, in terms of confidence and, and preparedness for that next level. So uh, we've created a lot of energy around that. Now there's so many people calling, like, how can I get involved? Um, you know, what can we do to help uplift the program? You saw um, at the uh, the match that we had with myself, Charles Barkley, uh, Pey- Peyton Manning and, and uh, Phil Mickelson, you know we all were raising money for for hbcus across the board um and that was you know putting putting you know the hbcus on the map and then, and it's just more so like creating that uh that ecosystem of everybody wanting to pour in and and, and finding out how they can actually you know make an impact and so um it's been awesome. I've heard nothing but great things about the, you know, how the kids have, have uh, experienced it so far, and we're just getting started. This is literally the first year, so uh, it's gonna get better.
3: And one thing that coach mentioned also was, in seeing the comment thread between both of you guys, is the foundation that can get the program thriving and and reach those longer term, big picture goals is winning. So from your side, he said, if you win, that can be the start to get the attention and then have the stuff sense of winning. To be able to, to then grow, do you see it the same way?
5: No doubt. you um, first, you have to prove that this is serious. This is a priority. Uh, I think we we started to do that. And to your point, uh, we want to be competitive. We want to be you know a top tier destination, you know, for the the most talented golfers coming out of high school, and uh, really feel like that's not a pipe dream. That that's uh, a true reality in terms of kind of flipping the. Uh, the uh, the collegiate golf landscape on its head a little bit and so i love that <laughs> man i love hearing <laughs> that. there's uh even this past summer in the basketball world there's some five-star recruits that were thinking hey maybe you know, hbcus might be the way to go they're gonna find me wherever i'm at same thing can happen in golf and uh and you kind of can look at just how amazing how it is in terms of how they you know uplift their students and um you know, create this this level of excellence that can be poured in as well in terms of, you know, what our expectations are as a program. And um, we obviously have an amazing coach that's been in some other, you know, uh, you know, top-tier programs that know what it takes to win at that level. So um, that's the that's the goal. We ain't just doing this yet just to be there, being competitive, being successful.
4: Um, titles. Exactly. <laughs> your- I love that. I love that. Steph, we're going to get to those elite players in a minute, but first I want to ask you, we, we've had Larry Fitzgerald on the show, and Larry's one of those people like you who has golfed with President Obama. And Larry told us that President Obama is a sneaky trash talker, but oh, he's yeah. good. So I wanted to ask you, rate his trash talking and tell us a story about one of his best trash talking sessions. He He's sneaky because you know his... Uh
5: his cadence with his words, right? He's an amazing storyteller. And so uh, he doesn't switch it up when he's on the golf course. He's kind of that cool, mellow, he draws you in. And, uh, you know, his game is is decent enough that he's not embarrassing himself out there on the course because he <laughs> he can, he can he's not, he's going to manage his way around the course. Uh, but I think the first time we played him, you know, we were just getting to know each other at the, and, and, and I was just getting comfortable around uh, President Obama and I think he he wanted to kind of break the ice a little bit because i was in, I was riding in, uh, in his cart with him. and um, I talked to uh, or I guess M- Michelle had uh, had reached out to him before the round and uh, told him to give me a message that if I wanted to talk trash about President Obama, that I should go straight for the ears. <laughs> I, should go, I should go straight from the ears, just trash the big ears, nonstop, and that's the one that can get under his skin a little bit. And so he was humble enough to pass that on to me, knowing that it was going to press the button, and he was giving me some ammo. So that might speak to his confidence as a trash talker. So he didn't give me material, knowing that he had some other stuff in the bag. So that uh, that that says did, a lot. Did you go for? Did
3: you go for it? Did did you hit I him on the ears?
5: I I waited to the back nine, no, no. though. I didn't want to get I uh, I didn't want to get kicked off the course too quick.
4: By the way, who won?
5: So we played twice. Uh, the first time I was on his team, and we were playing against my dad and Ray Allen. My dad and Ray Allen they they won. Um, and the second time uh, I was on, uh, against him, and, and we got the dub. So uh, it's always fun playing with him, no matter where we're at. And and obviously he's got a little bit more free time now, so hopefully we can uh,
4: keep it going. I'm curious, Steph, if you could play golf with one person, one round, living or dead, who would that one person be? Tiger, for sure. Um, It just obviously
5: is kind of a hero of mine growing up, and to know like all he's been through over the course of his career, and you know all the highs and lows and all that. I feel like that would be an amazing four or five hours out there to kind of hear his story from his from his uh, his lens. There's a lot of you know, content out there now about him and around him, but i love to hear it from his words. So, um, and to see, you know, him hit amazing golf shots all day, but that would be, that'd be my guy. I'm actually surprised you guys haven't linked up. No, we've, we've talked a couple of times. Uh, he actually called me out the blue, uh, back in 2015 during our playoff run, uh, in the second round against, uh, who were playing Memphis. And uh, we were down 2 one and my PR director for the Warriors, he, I was leaving practice in between game uh, three and four and uh, I just won my first MVP. So that was kind of a, a talking point, but we were down in the series and he said, Hey, if this Florida number calls you, you might want to answer it. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so he called me about an hour later and uh, it was the biggest pep talk of all time. Just out of the blue. He, uh, he, uh, he he spoke some life into our, our comeback uh, during that round, and uh, he told me. I said, "I'm I'm ready for it. I know we are going to get it done." And he he dropped the he dropped the mic at the end of the call. He's like, "Prove it," and then just hung up. <laughs> oh, nice! You don't get no better than that. You don't get no better than that. So he lit the fire under me for sure. Mm-hmm.
3: Man, want to kind of switch gears a little bit. We talk a lot on the show about player activism, and and you've been one of the voices in the NBA that's been on the forefront of that, Uh, but I noticed on, on February 3rd, you sent out a a tweet uh, from the LA times. It was a headline that read no league was more essential to the social justice movement in 2020 than the WNBA. So I'm interested from your perspective, as a father of two daughters, as a player in the NBA that has a voice and a platform, how much influence of what they're doing impacts you and what you do.
5: A, A lot. I mean, uh, It seems they're very proactive in in using their voice and being collective and unified uh, uh, across all the different teams. And um, they're just being very, very bold and courageous about, uh, you know, speaking on what they believe, taking a stand on things, no matter what the consequences might be. And, you know, I feel like they're a model uh, across the board for – what it means for athletes to be outspoken, to use their platforms, uh, to be selfless in that respect um, and to be consistent with it. So that for me is was a uh, worth a shout out and, and more, um, you know, based on not just last year, but we go you know years and years back about equal pay Um Uh, conversations and debates on that and and that topic and then you know leading into social justice and and things that happened over the last 18 months so um like you said as as a as a father of an eight and five-year-old girl who aren't really interested in basketball as of yet but um have models to look up to in terms of you know strong courageous women that um don't fit in a certain lane, they, they, they speak on what they believe. And and I think it makes a huge impact um, across the board for sure.
4: That's a beautiful thing. You know, what's interesting, Steph, is we've seen athletes become more vocal after cap took a knee in 2016, even from a warrior standpoint. I mean, I know that you were always socially conscious, but even among warriors and yourself, we started to hear more, hear you guys speak about things more. I'm wondering how much did that moment and what he did, awaken something inside you and other athletes
5: i think it was huge um and obviously how polarizing it was in terms of what his message was in that moment and, and not being you know misconstrued um or taken away from him and and, and kind of reconfigured to other narratives and things like that that was what kind of was the resolution was like you can you can control only so much in that respect, but you have to stay true to what you believe and who you are, and just act on it. Um, you know, all the greatest ideas and the greatest conversations—unless there's action behind it, then it's kind of a moot point. And so um, that was that was a huge message. And you can kind of even go back to generations of past, like you said. There's um, been a, a huge uh, movement of player activism and. and And I think the biggest thing is just being authentic to what you actually believe. There's a temptation to want to poke your head and your nose into every single conversation and argument. And that's okay if you're well versed and knowledgeable about and understand, you know, um, you know what you're trying to impact or influence um, in those particular conversations. And for me, that's the rule of thumb. you know, if you're knowledgeable about it, if you have a network of people that you can tap into to ask the right questions to get the right information, um, you know, if, for me, being able to know that there's people on the ground and many a community across the country that are doing this the work, especially in social justice and and uh, inequality, that they've been doing this. That's their, their, that's their life's blood work. Then we can uplift those, you know, leaders and organizations, and you know, lend awareness and and, and resources financially. Um, manpower, whatever it is, um, we can influence it that way as well. Um, Even up to to policy issues, Capitol Hill and all that type of stuff. So there's a lot of different ways to do it, but being knowledgeable about it, not just saying stuff to say it um, is huge.
3: And someone else that that's knowledgeable and and vocal is your coach, Steve Kerr. So interested from your perspective, uh, what kind of conversations do you guys all do you have talking about social issues because he's known to be a thoughtful guy far outside of basketball. And so what is it like to play for a coach who is supportive of his players uh, being vocal and having those interests to want to get involved in? And then what kind of conversations do you two have about what's happening in the world?
5: I mean, a lot. I think the biggest thing is just there's a perspective on a daily that we're blessed to play this game at the highest level and get to be paid handsomely to put the ball in the basket and, um you know with that comes a sense of responsibility um of speaking your truth and speaking out for those that can't you can speak for themselves and using our platform and he does foster some conversations or a lot of conversations within our team you know during film sessions during random meetings throughout the year that we kind of break down issues that might be happening or again it's the perspective that we're not in a, we're in a bubble in our own world, but we're not, we're still connected to, you know, our brothers and sisters to left and right. And so for us to be able to, uh, not lose sight of that, um, is huge and obviously him, Doc Rivers, Greg Popovich, um, you know, coaches across the board, Lloyd Pierce in Atlanta, who's running the, uh, uh, the, I think the coaches union, um, and, and doing a lot of work over this last year, you know, it's, a uh, it's a environment where we all try to empower each other and support each other in that. Um, and that means a lot to not feel like you're on an Island by yourself. Um, and that people understand that, you know, you want to be helpful, but maybe there's a, find out what the right way to do it is. To that point, Steph, do you think this is a moment or a movement? I mean, it's always been a movement. I think it's just more so that it's not just a movement within our own communities, that it's uh we call them the allies, right? And that there's, you know, people on the other side that are listening and hearing and, and holding themselves accountable to uh, to how they can make change or and, and help turn this into what I feel like is is different. I feel like it's more palpable and that there's more conversation and more action. I um, mean, time will tell. Hopefully, in our lifetime, we do see. Uh, a better reality for our kids and, and, and future generations in that respect. But um, yeah, I, I feel like we're doing what we can with, within our power to, uh, to stay true to, to that mission um, and to that, that movement, if you will. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I always choose hope at the end of the day. There's always that one piece where you can say, oh, things are never going to change and we're just, you know, spinning our, our legs on the wheel,
4: I always choose hope that we are we are moving in the right direction, no matter how long it takes. You know, Steph, we've got a little over five minutes left because I know you've got a hard out here. Um, so let's have a little fun for a minute football-wise. We look at Tom Brady, 10 Super Bowls, uh, 43 years old this year, playing tremendous. Talks about maybe even playing until he's 50. You're about a decade younger than Tom Brady. How long can you see yourself playing? It's a great question.
5: I mean, it's different sports, different position. I mean, my pops, my pops is always the uh, the barometer for me. He played 16 years until he was 38, and I got to see how his body changed over the years, especially those last six and all the work that went into getting ready for a season. Uh, I'm about to be 33 next month. Feel really, really good, fresh, able to still do everything I want to do on the court. So if I could get to like pushing 40 with it and still be impactful on the court. I feel like that's a win. Basketball is that straight up and down. You can't hide anywhere when you're out there. Um might be a little different conversation, but to, to Tom's point, just getting your body where you go out on your own terms is is uh is the goal, however long or however many years, you know, that is. So that's the get pushing forty would be amazing. To and a couple
3: more couple more championships in there too, I bet. Word up that's absolutely <laughs> <have no> <laughs> Uh, all right. So uh, football still. So you're a big Panthers fan. So I'm curious, though, you've been in the Bay for a minute. Why are you not a 49ers fan at this point?
5: I just can't. I can't do it. I just. Come on, Steph. Is it is
3: it the colors? What What is
5: it? It's, it's just growing up, going to Bank of America Stadium, watching uh, Jake DeLome and Steve Smith and uh, Sin Muhammad, Tim Biaka I can go down the list of all my, my favorite Panthers. I just can't – I can't – Sam Mills, Thomas Davis. I can't go – I can't just – I can't let that go. And I can't be a two-team two, two team type of guy. I'll root for them. I'll go to the game. I'll be Bay Area pride when they win. But uh, when the Panthers come out to the Bay, you know what side of the stadium I'm going to be on. So that's it.
3: <laughs> all right, speaking of favorites, favorite NFL player to watch and why? Right now? Yep,
5: uh, Mahomes for sure. Just why see a lot of myself in him, and obviously there's been a lot of comparisons. Just that creativity—you you can't blink or you'll miss something, something special. And uh, I just love his his confidence. When he, he knows at any point he can do something special, he's always you know got options. He's got a way to make a play using his feet or his arm, side arm pass, whatever it is. Um, he's surrounded by some weapons and he knows how to use them. So it's uh that's 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 that guy's he's special. He's generational talent, obviously. So
4: love watching him. Steph, when we talk about players such as yourself, Mahomes, Brady, whoever, Fitzgerald, we're talking about greatness. Is there a common thread through all of you, great players that maybe we on the outside don't see or don't know? I think just the common
5: knowledge of how hard or how much hard work it takes to get to that level and sustain it. And the, the pressures that you feel on a daily to kind of keep doubling down on that. Um, I say we are our own worst enemy with our own expectations at, at times. And there's nothing anybody that can, can say about you or who, about how you played or who you are. We're our biggest critics. And so um the work that goes into it and the, the sacrifice that you have to make to be at that level. Um, I think we, we, it's kind of an un, unspoken understanding and, and an appreciation for, for what that means. Um, there's a lot of ways that people have fallen off, you know, and the point about it is when we were kids, I'm, I'm, I wasn't never the most talented guy and there's always people that uh, were more developed you know better shooters whatever but i kept working at it and you know the difference of you know opportunity there um it's kind of manifests itself when you get to this level and and you kind of uh
4: recognize that in 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 those type of people thomas has got a fun one you for music and then i'll wrap it up (laughs) a full circle so
3: jim's not a hip-hop guy so this is on me all (laughs) right so versus who won the battle e40 versus
5: too
3: short. Ooh. I know who I think won. Oh, who you
5: man. think won? Well, they were making that joke, Little John won, right? Because he had, all the, <laughs> he had all, the, all the beats and the pieces. Now he, courtside 40, courtside 40 to me, he definitely won. And I think he won one because I've never seen anybody drink so much and still maintain composure. <laughs> Uh, on the verse, a lot,
3: a lot of brown liquor was consumed, a lot, of,
5: that. A lot of his own liquor too. He, he got his own label, so y'all gotta check those out. And then the, the, then the, the antics and the mannerisms and the, and the dance. and I, I actually had to, I felt so inspired, I had to go uh dress up like him and uh
4: and uh and pull out some of the footwork. So,
5: yeah, mm. he definitely.
4: Okay, like well, <laughs> Steph, let me bring this full circle because I know you got to run. How do we? graduates of HBCU and that family get elite athletes such as yourself to start passing on the Davidsons and the UCLA's and the Kentuckys and signing up for the Howards, the a ts the Hamptons and others I mean we're all
5: we're all doing it I guess in terms of continue to use your platforms to speak on the great things that are happening speaking about your experiences there obviously I didn't go to Howard or an HBCU but if um you know, cross paths with so many people that speak so highly of of their experience, that what has made them successful in in, in life, and um, for us, it's just about continuing to get that word out that this is a, a real opportunity, a real uh, life changing, uh, you know, type of situation and a decision um, that is only going to continue to get better. So I think that that wave has started uh, on the national you know level um from networks that might not uh that weren't talking about hbcus before 2020 so it's going to continue to 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 double down on that i'm gonna continue to wave the flag from afar and um yeah well when you see when you see uh the the bison golf team on on golf channel uh
4: chasing the national championship that's gonna be it right there (laughs) i love that man well look i want to say on behalf of thomas on behalf of my co-host steve weish the Howard family, we want to say thank you to you for all you've done for the golf program, for the basketball team, in terms of the Curry eights being supplied to them. And also want to thank you and your wife for um, your eat, learn, play foundation, for all the work that you're doing there. So much respect, much props. And, and we appreciate you being on the huddle and flow, man. I appreciate you guys. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Uh, what is it the H H U H U, yeah, you know, okay. <laughs> you know,
3: it's not like it.
4: Steve what an impressive guy you know look I, I grew up in the Bay Area I used to sit in those five dollar seats back in the day up in the Oakland Coliseum Arena and watch Joe Barry Carroll and the Warriors and whatnot so you know I'm not hiding my my fandom here as, as it relates to the Golden State Warriors but you know, Steph makes it easy to be a fan of not only the team, but him and his family in terms of all the work that they do in the community, trying to make situations better and him using his platform to try and make positive change in this country. And, and you know, for our listeners, you and I both, the minute we heard that he was going to sponsor this, uh, the Howard University golf team and resurrect that program after more than two ge- two decades of being dormant, we had to bring him in, you know, and we, and we had to have him. Uh, with us and show some love to him and, and let him know that, that we consider him an honorary bison. So um, it was just, it was just a uh, an enjoyable time for me. I could have talked to him all night.
2: And, and I love the mad respect for guys like him and Chris Paul and all of these yes, players sir. who don't, who, who didn't attend HBCUs, but are putting so much into HBCU programs, because you know we talk about Steph sponsoring a golf program. What's the big deal with that? Yes, okay, great. It's an extracurricular activity for those student athletes up at Howard. But also, and when and they get to the real world,
3: scholarships. scholarships
2: for those right. kids. Scholarships, extracurricular. But Jim, as you know, because you're a big golfer, there's a whole lot of deals that get brokered on the golf course. Oh. So even if these guys, right? So even if these guys don't hit the PGA tour, they 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 are now going to be able to to possibly put themselves in a position to make. The, the, the proper connections and just and just all love to some of the go ahead uh-huh
4: can I tell you this quick story real quick I was not a golfer hadn't played obviously I didn't have time didn't have money at one point to play I'm covering the NBA I'm sitting baseline one day next to the legendary Jim Hill as you know the broadcaster up in up in LA and Jim says to me do you play golf and I said no I don't he said you need to take up the sport And I said why he said because that's where deals get done That's where you have access to players. And then he starts telling me about guys he's been on the course with from Marcus Allen on down. And it was at that point I knew I've got to take this sport up. And I did. And and now I love it for other reasons. But you're absolutely right. If you go to an NFL player, uh, NBA, baseball, whatever, and say, hey, let's play around, they are down to go out on the golf course. So it's a secret for young reporters out there. Um, (laughs) Take it up.
2: All right. Well, Jim, as as we get out of here, um, this has been an absolutely incredible run of of sorrow and loss for us personally, for those in the sports world. Um, And as we just learned uh, overnight on Monday, Marty Schottenheimer, someone you're close with, he finally lost his battle to Alzheimer's. We knew this was coming when they moved him into hospice a, a past couple of days ago, but you were close to him. You've been on the golf course with him many times. Um, I would just love for you to say some some kind words about your friend. Oh, Mar- I don't
4: know that, that I have the words. I, I think about Marty and how he always used to tell us he was an English major and he would command a room with his presence and his voice. The thing I remember about Marty most is, you know, you hear these stories about him from the far, from afar, him being a hard ass, a control freak, all those kind of things. And I remember the Chargers hired him as head coach. And at that time, my relationship with the organization wasn't necessarily the greatest because I was a beat writer and I was writing things that maybe they didn't want to see or hear. And so I, I right away, my antenna was up with Marty and I really wasn't sure if he was someone to be trusted or not. And long story short, we had an incident where I felt like he had deceived me a little bit. And he and I had a, a um, our coming to Jesus moment, where we laid out what our expectations were of each other. And without going into specifics, at the end of that, all I know is that every time I called him with something controversial that I had found out and I knew to be true, he never once lied to me. And you know as a beat writer, that's all you can ask for. Um, Out of anyone associated with an organization, is you don't have to give me information, but just don't lie to me. And Marty was not that guy. And we had conversations about family, about football, um, and even at times about his faith. And um, I can say to you, I'm going to miss him. Going to miss him a lot. Um, You know, I spent time with his family down in North Carolina at their home with he and his lovely wife Pat, who was like the matriarch of all NFL wives. And um, you know his son, Brian, well, uh, and his daughter, Kristen. He's got four grandkids he survived by, and um, I just hope he's at peace.
2: Jim, well said. The NFL uh, loses another legend. And just quickly as we sign off, um, we lost a dear one at NFL Network, NFL Media, and Chris Wessling. Just a wonderful man a brother to all of us. He had battled cancer for a long time and fought like nobody. I seen fight. I'm glad that uh, he and his wife, Lakeisha were able to have their son link. So his legacy will live on. Um, this is a brutal blow and we've lost a lot. You know, we have lost Vaughn McClure from ESPN. We've lost Sekou Smith from NBA TV, Marty, Chris Wessling, and Jim, the one that, uh, you know, none is greater than the other, but losing Pedro Gomez, uh, a brother of ours from ESPN, someone I work with in Miami, someone who we've probably both had dinner with a million times. Um, the ultimate reminder to just please love everybody up and be kind to everyone because this this, this is a fleeting existence. existence um, where hopefully Me. you can leave a lot of positive memories because we're all hurting pretty badly right now. No question.
4: Let me let me tell you a quick story about Pedro. When I came to San Diego, I'd never been here before. I came as a high school writer. Pedro was already here covering one of our high school zones. Didn't know him from Adam. And Pedro says to me, do you have a place to stay? I said, no, I'm at the hotel. He says, why don't you stay at my place? Didn't know me from anyone. I'm a stranger. And he said, why don't you stay at my place until you find a place? And I did. And that's the kind of guy that Pedro was man 100%. opened up his heart and his arms to everyone. And I'm just devastated. You know, I told my wife about it. She knew him. Um, he was just, just a loving man, you know? So man, we've lost so many people Yeah, just, just just,
2: just, gutted. Yeah. Yeah. Just gutted. Well, Jim, we got to go ahead and button this episode up. Um, so again, lo- love your every people, everybody. Um, Jim, you take, you take us home. It's a great podcast uh, and and just really appreciate our guy, Thomas Warren, again, stepping in and and just doing a, a great job. So, Jim, why don't you go ahead and bring us home?
4: Yeah, once again, we thank you for subscribing to the podcast. We thank you for listening. Please continue to leave your suggestions as to who you'd like to hear from, what you'd like us to discuss, and that way we can continue to give you more of what you're funking for.
2: The Stutter Flow podcast brought to you by Intuit, the proud makers of TurboTax, QuickBooks, and Mint. I'm Steve Weich, We're Jim Trotter, and Thomas Warren. We are the Howard Mob, and we are out.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses.